Hello, it's Marion Wright here and welcome to this episode of Favourite Friends. Here is the second part of my chat with Rita Melikin. Now I do need to tell you that most of this episode covers Rita's journey through grief after the passing of her first child. If this episode brings up anything for you, we want to encourage you to talk to someone, either through a service like Lifeline on 13 11 14 or turn to someone else who can give you support. As always, our prayer is that sharing a story like Rita's brings hope and life, especially if you're in a dark season yourself. Here's part two. Andrea is 17 mm. now, and Gianluca, his name was, um, he would be 19, and he was born in January, mm. and um, he was born on the 7th of January in 1999 mm. and so we'd had like I mentioned before we'd had this five-year plan mm. and um it's because Craig was young mm. he didn't feel like he'd be mature enough mm. and I can see that now <laughs> <laughs> to be a father beyond Bless before that point <laughs> yeah. you know when you're dating somebody who's 18 yeah. who was at least 20 when we got married I yeah. threw him his 21st birthday party oh. um, <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant yeah great um so, yeah, so we had this plan and um, and we weren't using contraception um, for a while because it had made me sick. So I'm thinking we obviously didn't know how to get it right, but there's always the timing of God, mm. always the timing of God. And so um, obviously he was born in 99, so in 98 I fell pregnant, so it was outside of my five-year plan, Lord. Mm. Um, but anyway, and I had like a great pregnancy. It was a perfect pregnancy and the scans were fine. So everything was fine and they I was induced by the doctor because he patted me on the head and he's going, oh, little mama, because, you know, I'm five foot, <laughs> half an inch. The baby looks quite large. But Gianluca was just a little, you know, he was 6'13 when he was born. Um, so I was induced and he was born, you know, healthy and normal that day. The next day his breathing started to get a little bit different but I hadn't really noticed it. The nurses noticed that he was cold, so they kind of wrapped him and they put a little beanie on him and stuff like that. And so then they ended up putting him under lamps. And, you know, um, my mum had come up, my brother, everybody had seen him kind of thing except Craig's family because they were living in China at the time. They didn't, they'd said, oh, look, we don't want you to take him out from under the lamps. And so kind of secretly they'd been going, things aren't going right, but they hadn't said anything to me. And so they'd called the paediatrician from... Um, Princess Margaret Hospital, which is the children's hospital in Subiaco. And um, they'd come up and they said, oh, look, his breathing isn't right. We have to call in the specialist team. And so they did and they brought a crib. And Craig had only just gone home. We were literally living around the corner from the hospital. And they said, look, we need you to ring your your husband because we need to take you up to the hospital. And um, so... um, they came in, Craig came back and they said, look, we've got some bad news. He's really struggling to breathe. He's on 100% oxygen and he's still not breathing well. And um, still, I mean, it's it was shocking at the time, but you've got no concept. I'm a you know, faith-filled Christian, this is the, um, this was the child of promise. Like God had said to me prophetically, you know, not because I'd been desiring for children ever since, you know, I wanted to be a midwife because I love babies, you know, I'd been wanting to have children for a long, long time, even before my five years was taken forever. And so I'd had this prophetic word that said, not only will you be a mother 
in our city, a mother in the spirit, but you'll be a mother in the natural. And so for me, this was the child of promise. And so we get up to um, the hospital and they've um, got Gianluca all hooked up to everything and um, they put us around the corner in like the little um, waiting area, I guess, in a special little room Um, because it's like the neonatal unit and that's for babies who have to stay there long term and whatever and they have their families can stay on site as well and so the um what do you call the the registrar on duty came in they said oh look we need you to come and see um the specialist and so they sat sat us down and then they spoke to us and they said oh look it's not good news (laughs) I, don't, I haven't talked about this for a while. It's not good news. Um, he has what's called hyperplasty left ventricle, which means that there's no artery coming out of his heart. And he wow. said um, he we don't expect he's going to live for much longer. Mm. And it was like a smack in the face, you know. You know, you just think that doctors are miracle workers and they do surgery in utero, so you believe that anything is possible. And to get that wow. news, it was so final. Mm. And they said, you know, like in Melbourne, you know, the Great Royal Children's Hospital, they offer an operation, but he is not going to survive the journey. Because how old was he at He that? was a day and a half old. A a so half. it's a day and a half old when he passed mm. away. And so um, they said, what we offer is just palliative care. We can take him off life support. And I just went, no. If God wants him, he will take him at the right time. So they just had him on a morphine drip um, just so that he could um, not be in pain mm. during this time because his body was just struggling to breathe. Mm. And so they had him on a ventilator and uh, we just, we didn't, you know, you when you receive news like that, you just, you don't know what, you can't think. Mm. It's like your mind has just disappeared. And um, I'm just going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And the hospital like, can we do something? Can we bring something? I'm going, um, can you ring my mum? And so the hospital actually wasn't far from my mum's place. And so mum got, she had a border, like I've told you, my mum's always bringing in strays off the street. So she had a border, Sokoli, from Yugoslavia. So he um, brought her up to the hospital and um, then she rang my brother who also came up and she goes, what about Pastor Bob? And we'd already left Hyde Park by this time, but we loved him so much. We'd asked him if he would dedicate um, our baby when he was born we didn't know we were having a a son or a daughter at the time and so I went she goes can I call Pastor Bob and I went yes and so she called Pastor Bob and then he called Phil who was our friend as well um and so they all ended up at the hospital so there's my mom and my brother Craig's parents were overseas um Pastor Bob and Margaret and Phil and Caroline and they all came up and um, we dedicated him. So I'm just laying on the bed. It was perfect, you know, in that we were able to hold him still, even though he was connected. We all took turns holding him and they took Polaroids and they had this little rug. Beautiful people who work at hospitals um, called the blanket of love. And I just, to me, that was just so precious. So they put a little beanie on him and he was wrapped in his little blanket of love. Um and we dedicated him and Pastor Bob is kneeling. I'm laying on the bed with him. Pastor Bob is kneeling and everybody's crying. Nobody can speak, but we dedicated him there to the Lord. 
And then Phil and Caroline, everybody's crying. Nobody knows what to do. But they're all there. Craig's actually holding him at this point where he just stops breathing at the time. And, you know, my heart goes out for people who experience this and they've got to do CPR and their children and stuff like that. But you know what? God never gives you more than you can actually cope with. As hard as it is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I know my mind was just going, oh, Lord, what do I do now? What do I do now? Um, you know, I'm not a mum. I was can't be on maternity leave. I was still on, still on my annual leave at the time because he came a bit early. I finished on Christmas Eve and then he was born on the 7th. So God just knew and... There was like this support network that God just brought, you know, saved and unsaved alike. You know, God's community is far reaching. We just have no idea. And yeah, and yeah, and so it was hard. But I had this prophetic word when Craig and I took on this um, outreach into the community for annoying kids who are <laughs> harassing <laughs> the neighborhood. And um, that's a very kind yeah, way to put it. Right. And, um, and in this word, um, he goes, I can see you. And he goes, and you're in the depths. And he goes, but it's okay. You won't stay there. And he goes, um, God will bring you out and you're going to be bringing people with you. And I, and I, you, seriously, no kids, you know, nothing at the time, just the prospect of working in Balladura with these kids. Um, and that was it. I had, and we get these words and we have no idea what they mean. But at the right time, God will bring them back and you'll know what they mean. And, and the thing is, God has used that because when you go through things and you come out the other side, and trust me, you do, but you only will if you allow the process to take place. If you shut down and shut God out, then you will die emotionally and your relationships will die as well. So I was going to ask you, what does an experience like that firstly do to your marriage? Yeah. And then what does it do to your relationship with God? Yeah. Oh, it was hard on both, I guess. Um, but what the, the hospital are incredible because they, they know and they've seen this happen time and time again. And, you know, John Luca died on a Saturday morning and they said, we would like you to come back on Monday. And I'm like, why? They say, because your your body is going through things that your mind can't catch up with yet. And they said, you need to come back and you need to see him again and to hold him and speak to him and say these things. And that, and then they had they gave you a, this little thing too, which had a footprint and a handprint and a lock of his hair, all these things that I don't really look at, but they're there for one day when I want to look at them. I look at the blanket of love you know, because that's a special a thing for me. And um, so um, so we did. And what they said to us is, look, there is counselling. And I'm going, no, I don't want to do that. I said, I've got, I've got God and I've got my church family. That's where I want to get my counselling from, really. And I'm guessing those places are good and I'm not saying that you wouldn't, but that just wasn't what I was feeling. I felt too vulnerable to, I think, at the time to even contemplate sharing that with strangers and um but I'm guessing too by the same token they know and they've been through those things but um what they said to me is you need to understand that we all deal with grief differently and you can't 
be grieving one way and wonder why your husband's grieving another way and vice versa too. For me, I cried and talked and cried and talked and cried and talked and that's how I deal with things. And Craig shut down. Like at the funeral, he didn't want to talk to anybody or anything like that. He just wanted to sit and he didn't want people just jabbering or touching him or anything like that, even though he's a tactile kind of person. But um, for me... I was just wanting to talk and I was wanting people to feel easy as well. I'm trying to manage them and and they're trying to manage. I was just all kind of weird. But for me, to talk about things is how I deal with things. And, um, and for me, that helped. And I had friends who were prophetic. And I think prophetic intercessor friends can see in the spirit where people who don't walk in that realm so much – will trip over themselves trying to find things to say. And sometimes you don't need them to say anything. You just need them just to give you a hug. Like I found people going, oh, it's all right. You're young. You'll have more. Shut up. I don't care. You know, that's not how I'm feeling right now. You know, I don't care that I'm young and I have Mm. a future. The the child that I thought was promised for me has Mm. been gone. Mm. Does that mean God's changed his mind? And then I thought, what have I done? You know, you be, you go through all mm. of these dumb things and they are natural mm. responses and God understands that and you can yell and I'm just going, God, where are you? You said this. Mm. You said this. And um, I found that I couldn't hear his voice anymore. I couldn't pick up the Bible. I, you know, we'd go into church and I don't know if you know this kind of feeling but I feel vulnerable at most of the times when I go into church when the presence of God is there I weep at the drop of a hat sometimes I get angry at God like why are we dealing with this in a public place yes (laughs) I think that's why I tend to gravitate towards the back of the room yes I'm like just in case I have a moment I don't want anyone else to see me ugly cry And that's the only kind of cry I do, and unfortunately. Then, and like when you were saying before, you got your prophetic word about your relationship that's not going to work out. I always, there's a part of me that just clenches when I get a public prophetic word yeah. because it's really personal. Yes. But you is. have to do it in front yeah. of like a room of people. Yeah. yeah. I, I 100% know, yeah. know what that, that feeling. feels like. Yeah. And so I'm going, we need to go to church, but it was so hard to go back there as well because people know what's happened to you. And so we'd be sitting in the back and there would be people who knew and people who didn't. And I just was be crying through the whole thing. I couldn't focus on anything. And my grief was exacerbated in the presence of God because I just felt completely undone. Like you want to keep your composure in like a public space, but you just can't. You just – but – that's okay as well. It's okay to be who you are. It's okay to be broken and wounded because that's who God wants to gather together. And we need to learn how to love those people and love them through their situations as well. And um, yeah. I never know what to say. Yeah. When when you do, yeah, when that happens yeah. and you know someone's walking through grief or trauma yeah. or something awful has happened, what's the right thing to say? Nothing sometimes, you know. Sometimes just, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know what the time is, what the timing is of the right thing to say. Um, people just saying, I love you. Like I think Neil and Leone were coming to visit us and, you know, we'd gone home and it was that day and they'd got this phone call from Phil and Caroline and they were coming with gifts for us and they're just like, oh, Lord, 
you know, we have to do a complete, we were just talking about it and we were so happy and we have to do that complete change in how we approach you. What do we say? What do we do? And for me, you still have to celebrate the life. Mm. You know what I mean? So come with, again, with a microphone. (laughs) Whack away. Come come with the gift. You know what I mean? And give them a hug. And there will be people that you can be more real with than others. Yeah. And so if you're not close to that person, there's not much you can say really. Just say, I, I'm so sorry. I love you. Yeah. Is there anything I can do? And most of the time they'll be like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Bring them a meal because they're yeah. incapacitated really. Totally. You can't think. You're numb, yeah. you know. And there will be people and we had lots of people coming and talking to us. It was the day of Craig's cousin's wedding and so people rang us up at home and nobody knew what was going on so we're on the front line having to tell people that our son has just died and Craig's like oh Uncle Kevin I'm so sorry we're not there because we'd said we would come like Craig was going to come even though I could be iffy at the time Um, and he wasn't there and everybody's wondering where he was surreal but I think you're in that place of being numb anyway that that moment that it's okay. You know what I mean? You're just going through the motions. You sit there, you listen to them. You break down later. You break down in the middle of it. And you don't know when that's going to happen either. And even years down the track, you know, you're not holding onto those things because you're not like that book, Hind's Feet and Hind's on high on high places you know you build your altar you sacrifice you deal with those things and you move on but it doesn't mean you're not touched by that thing because you are changed forever because of it but you're not living at that place of grief and you know um and I've come through that and I'm not bitter or anything like that either but what I've gone through can help God and the right words who knows because sometimes God will be doing something in me and often it'll be a travail thing where I don't know why I'm crying so stop touching me people I don't need you to come and comfort me because I'm not crying because I'm sad it's just the work of the Lord in my life and so I think discerning what the time is if you know that somebody's gone through grief if you're close enough to them just say I'm here for you I love you just and you will have to contact love, them because they're yeah. not gonna they're not gonna ring you. They I won't. I love to make a meal. I learned that from my ethnic mother. Yeah, when you, you have don't to. know what to do, just cook. Yeah, cook and it them is something absolutely and leave it. Yeah, she said sometimes we make grief about us. It's not about yeah. us. Yeah, and that's the thing. Show is, up, give them a meal, do something. Absolutely, and then, yeah, and then just yeah, because they're, they're be finding it, they're finding it difficult to manage themselves not trying to manage how you respond to their grief as well but yeah if you're close to them you know how did you and Craig find togetherness in that season where did you come together well I don't think we separated yeah I mean he would get mad at me because I'd hop in I would hear him like he would be crying in the shower it was the place where he was alone Mm. and he would be sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and he didn't sob in front of me necessarily Mm. he could sob in front of his friends and at the funeral was really hard because he's three of his he had four guys that he was close uh, yeah three guys actually there was Neil Smith Phil Stevenson and Michael Millick and they were all away so he didn't have that support network of guys that he could be that intimate, vulnerable relationship with where you can 
be mad at each other but love each other and you've got history with them. Those three weren't there, whereas I had those people in my life. Like Leonie, she came and she was because her sister had also lost a baby. So there was that understanding on her part of where your head is at. Mm -hmm. And so she came and she took photos at the funeral and it was just so beautiful. And um, so I don't believe we separated, but we we went through it differently. And um, I would be awake at night, couldn't sleep. I'd watch any rubbish that was on TV. And there was like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but there was like Angel and Craig's like, you've got this ungodly stuff on and I'm like I can't sleep all I'm doing is I just wanted to be numb I didn't want to think I didn't want to think because I actually had to get up and go to work again and when he was at work he was good too because he didn't have to think but yeah so what our doctor had recommended to us because he had lost a baby at 20 weeks which is considered a life legally so you still have to have the naming and then you have to have the the burial and the death certificate all that kind of stuff so he goes, what you need to do is um, you need to go away together, but don't stay away too long. He goes, you need to be able to work through this together. And we actually did that. Praise the Lord. you know. And we went to Asia because we love Asia. So we went to Thailand and we went to Malaysia. And we had really nobody that we knew in, Mal- in Thailand. Craig had been to his first missions trip there and just loved it. Um, and so we would go back there. So we spent seven days there and then five days in um, Malaysia um, where we have relationship with people there and we went into their home and spent time with them and they were able to minister to us and we went to meetings. But it was it was a time of escape but of spending time together too because if you go straight back into work, you've got you're just going through the motions and you're not dealing with things. You stay away too long and then you forget, forget what reality is like as well. So I think it's finding that balance. So for us going away together, and we were actually robbed while we were in Thailand, can you believe it? Oh. But I was so, and it was the night before we were supposed to go to Malaysia. Nothing of mine was stolen, but Craig, he was a dopey one. He left his passport behind in the guest house room. I, oh. I carry everything on me and he normally does. Oh, no. But you know, you just, you go, and I was just so mad at the devil. I just went, bring it on, you know. Yeah. You've done your worst. What more? This is nothing. I went, you took my son. I was so mad. You know, this part, you know, we can get another passport. Doesn't matter. So we missed our flight, all this kind of thing. Doesn't matter. But we ended up in Malaysia and I just thought nothing in my life to that point compared to what I'd gone through. But I knew the enemy wasn't getting giving up without a fight. And I began to read this book called um um 36 Hours with an Angel, and it was written by Richard Roberts' wife. He's the son of Oral Roberts, and he'd been married twice, and his second wife, I think it was their first child, and it was like their only son together as a couple, and then they'd gone on to have daughters. But she watched the birth of this child, and she'd suffered a lot beforehand and dealing with it. And I started to read this book on the plane because somebody had given it to me through a friend, and um, but it was so real that as soon as I opened and I read, I just began to weep. There's, I'm going, oh, no, I can't do this. I just can't function reading this. So we'd go out during the day and at night I'd just begin to read it. And it was just this thing where she knows what I'm going through. And she was in ministry and high-profile ministry as well, as well. And just the dumb things that people say to you, like that whole thing of, 
you're young, you can try again. And just her walking through that just ministered to me. Did I answer the question? I forget what the question is yeah, most of the no, time. No, no, you did. I, I just, it's amazing really, you know, um, I guess you and your willingness to stay close to God yeah. in a season like that, but then God also showing up in yeah. a season like that. But I, you know, and I haven't experienced anything to that extent, but I could imagine that there would be disappointment and there would be hurt and there would be confusion. And like, you know, you were even saying like you questioned God, like why you, yeah. know, you said, and how do you, how do you trust God? Like yeah. how, how do you not get hurt yeah. by something like that? When you said that you felt God said this child was promised. To yes. You, where do you find purpose in that? It's just running back into God. Um, like I was saying, we we had these prophetic friends, Michael and Tanya Millick, and and we had met actually not even through them. We met these guys before them, and their names were Christine and um, Peter Christensen, and um, they were quite prophetic as well, and they would run these meetings. And when you're broken, you don't want to go anywhere. So anyway, they were having this meeting in town, and I just thought, I'm already a blubbering mess I'll go along to the meeting. And it was. And I just literally cried the whole time. But it was a safe place in order for me to just sit. And we were going to, we'd actually left church, like our church. We knew that God said to leave, but we didn't know where we were going either. So we were just fellowshipping and trying to make sure that we were still in fellowship and hearing the word of God, even though we weren't. And we'd been going to this place, um, Whitford's Church of Christ, for a while. You know, everybody's related. So there were always people there that we knew. <laughs> and um, so, but for me, I like to do life in relationship with people more so than any other way. And um, so these were people that we had relationship with, not necessarily who we went to church with. Um, so we went along to this meeting and I was just, I was a basket case and people understood that and they didn't care. And when the worship, when there's prophetic worship going on, that's just a whole nother level of looking ugly while you're crying. And so... <laughs> I was just a blubbering mess and still pregnant fat and all this. And it was just not long after we'd had the baby and everything like that. And, um, but then Peter began to just speak out prophetically over our lives about, um, God is going to restore double what the canker worm and the moth and the wormwood, all that stuff that was robbed of you, God's going to restore double. And, um, and what else, I can't remember what else he said. And that, it was like words and that was washing over me. And you know, sometimes, like I was saying before, in your grief, you don't hear stuff. You have to rely on your spirit to, and, and things will pop up, things part of that, you know, and, and it just, and it ministered to me. It was like, don't run away from God as hard as it is, just run into him and, and you're mad at him. And you are, and that's just real. And like I couldn't hear his voice, so I had to hear it through other people. I remember I'd be in the shower and I'm like, Lord, I can't hear you. Why? You said, why? And um, mm. and I wasn't very feeling very spiritual at the time. My body's going through postnatal stuff. You know, your milk still comes in. You've got period coming in. Sorry, yeah, it's a bit wow. gross, but that comes in like a flood, like, yeah, <laughs> you, wow. you know. So you're just going, oh. 
Well, we just want to let you know something very important coming up in the calendar is our Favour Women's Conference starting on Friday, the 27th of July. We want to invite you to come together with all the girls right across Australia and even Mumbai, and we're going to really press into God. It's going to be very powerful, very practical, and I'd love to see you there. In the quiet moment, the thing is I kept talking. Mm. I kept talking. I was trying to have a dialogue. I couldn't hear, but I was as mad as I was and upset as I was. I still loved God. Mm. I still loved God. Mm. And I went back after eight weeks to work. And in those little quiet times, I feel like I could hear God was trying to talk to me. I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I know that he was trying to talk to me. And um, so it, it is, it's just a process of time mm. and not running away. And we had people, you know, like we went to Dream Life Church, which used to be called uh, Wanneroo Christian Outreach Centre, something like that. Um, and friends of ours who were from our Hyde Park days were going to that church and they said they're looking for youth pastors. And so, and so they actually contacted us and took us out for dinner and we just said to them, you know that we're kind of broken at the moment, don't you? And But are you sure this, and because this is what's happened and this is where we are and this is what we've done. And they just liked us and I don't know how or why. And um, they brought it in and brought us in and, and it was difficult and we started it off with prayer firsthand and so we weren't doing that let's appease everybody from the beginning. We just went, okay, go hard or go home. It was like, Lord, and Craig is the one who um, kind of led this. He just felt like um, the enemy has tried to take us down and it's the time where we either say no to God or we press in harder. And it was, it was all or nothing. And so we just went for it. We did and God just did and it was healing along the way. And, you know, I was up at the altar call, seriously, every five minutes up at the altar call. Yeah, that's the thing about healing too, right? Yep. Sometimes it does happen in a moment yep. and then sometimes it's just years. Yeah, it is. Years <laughs> and years of moments yep. where you go, okay, well, that doesn't hurt as much anymore, yep. God. And, you know, Mother's Day comes past oh, and I'm yeah. serving as Mother's Day oh, on Mother's yeah. Day, handing out things broken on the inside but just yeah. still serving. Yeah. And and God sees all that and he knows that. Yeah. But yeah, then I got my good news the following Mother's Day. I didn't know I was pregnant, but I was literally pregnant on Mother's Day. It was one of those things wow. where a lady in our church was ministering on a Sunday night and I was just drawn to the altar and I'd been given a card, you know, a Mother's Day card. So that always undoes you kind of a bit. And it was by our pastor's daughter, Emma. And I believe that she was just being prophetic as well, you know, calling things that are, even though they don't look like they are, as though they are. And um, so I was just broken and I just went up the front and she said to me, look, God is not saying this will never happen, but he needs you to say to him, or his question to you is, will you love me and serve me if you never have another child? And oh, oh. And I just, it hit me like a ton of bricks, but I was so broken and I just went, 
Yes, Lord. And that's what it comes down to. You know, God promises those things, but he needs us to put him first. And it's he's not holding me at arm's length or anything like that. But I needed I needed to hear that. I needed to confess that. God already knew because a couple days later I was due for my period. I was already pregnant. God had caused the pregnancy to take place. I was pregnant on the day that God had asked me. You know, he'd given me the answer. He'd given me the promise. I just needed to, I needed to verbalize. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, whatever you, whatever you want. But, you know, it's kind of like Jesus, you know, at the, um, at the wedding feast and his mum says to the servants, whatever he says, do it. Wow. You know, and, and it was one of those collisions really of everything that I wanted and the reality of never having those things when they collide. But look now, and I'm, I have Andrea and five months later I'm pregnant with Mars. And I was so reeling from that. But there is that word. God is going to restore. Mm. He is not replacing mm. at all. He is giving more. There's an abundance. Mm. There's an abundance that comes when you surrender to the process and you surrender and you walk through. There's always victory. Mm. So incredible. Like my boys, they're not the sons of thunder, but as <laughs> <laughs> more my daughters, the daughters of thunder. I but they are the promise. But I love that before that, or even in that, because you were pregnant, there was a moment of intimacy where, like, everything comes out from that. Yeah. You know? Every... I know I've had moments like that too. I mean, it's not the same. I know. Everybody's journey is their journey. No, but I know when we got back from India and look, I'm, I really like working. I'm one of those weird people that I I love the idea of a career. And that's probably why I'm still avoiding the (laughs) conversation, but I wasn't working when we got back from India and I'd applied for a bunch of jobs that I hadn't gotten. And I was so frustrated and I was angry at God and I kept telling him all the things I was good at. You don't know, Lord. I'm telling him why he should give me a job. And I remember sitting in my parents' backyard because we were living with my parents when we got back from India. And God said to me, if every day was just you and me and you didn't have a job, would that be enough for you? And I remember I said, no, that's not. And God said, I'm going to keep asking you that question until you can say yes to me. And I remember like just over a period of weeks just saying, I just where do I give this up? How do I give this up? This desire to do something impactful in the world. And God was like, it has to be you and me first. Yeah, It has to be you and me before your husband, before your work, before anything else. And I, yeah, I remember the day where I was just like, okay, yes, it's enough. It's everything. Actually, it's everything. Yeah. It's so true. And I think days later I got a job offer and it was, yeah, it was just, identity yeah you know before everything else you have four kids today <laughs> yeah god has restored and then he some. has yeah he has tell me about your kids well we have andrea who's 17 he's currently doing year 12 and his workload is probably a little bit more than the regular year 12 because tazzy does it different everything about tazzy is just slightly different to everywhere else um 
and he doesn't know yet what he wants. That's okay. I know, and oh that's what gosh, I have said. So okay. But I think secretly in his heart, there's a yearning for the things of God that he's cool. not verbalized yet. Yeah, cool. And I felt like God had spoken to me about things, but I'm not speaking out. I'm speaking out his destiny to, into into the Lord, yeah. not into him, because you want yeah, them cool. to to work that out with the Lord. And then there's Mus Mussy Mussy Gus. Call him all sorts of things. Actually, he was Bub for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> his name's Mussy. Mine. He's in um, year eleven, and um, I think his desire is to be a marine biologist. Cool. There is a workload. Um, and a standard of um, input that needs to go in that might be, I'm pointing upwards, of where he <laughs> is currently. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, he's good and he's come out of his shell a lot too. Mm. The move here has just been incredibly good yeah. for them. Hard at the same time but good. Yeah. And, and there's Isabella and she is 13 and she'll be 14 in October. Mm. So... Uh, one, two, three, four out of my five were born at the beginning of the year. Wow. So I carried through Christmas. Yep. And then Isabella is the spring baby in October. And I'd had a miscarriage before her actually and um, was just – I wasn't very far along. But then I got – I got that was another time that I got mad. I got – I went, seriously, Lord, I thought mm. we dealt with this. Mm. Um, it's the process. Yeah, How are it you is. back here again? Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, like yeah. you were talking before, yeah. you know, that back and forth and stuff like that. But life is a journey. And for me, I was actually able to minister to somebody actually who'd lost their baby. Wow. While I am literally miscarrying – um, over this weekend and um, but for me what I was going through was nowhere near what she was going through but I was able to minister because I had been where she had been as well oh, and I was a basket case at her son's mm. funeral too mm. but um, so that nothing is ever lost that we go through nothing is ever lost and God will strengthen you and the things that come out of you when you're squeezed that's the real you, really, mm. in the end. And um, so Isabella, but I was I was upset but not grieved at the same time. And um, because I'd had another prophetic word, here they go, these prophetic words popping mm. up everywhere. I'd had a prophetic word from Vicky Dorazio, um, as she was at the time. Vicky Simpson now. Yes. Um, I went to a ladies' camp from our church and... Um, I'd only just had Mus and Mus was having trouble feeding so I had to do all these kind of weird things, buy him a bottle that had an extra long teat, hold his jaw and his cheeks and the bottle and I'm like, oh, trying to work this thing. So anyway, I brought him along to camp with me while I'm trying to pump wow. in the car on the way there. It was just funny. Wow. And so, you know, the women had said to Vicky, oh, can you pray for Rita and her son? That You know, that things will just get better. And so... I went up the front and she goes and she looks at Mars and she's like just praying and she's like, I feel like it's just going to click. You know, one day he's struggling and, you know, in a moment, in the blink of an eye. And he, and he really did because he went from scrawny to chubby overnight just about. And um, so there was no problem there. And then she began to pray and she goes, I actually see them. Um, she goes, I see your young one playing the drums and that's Andrea. And um, there have been things that have stopped the opportunity for that to take place just through, you know, finances, mission field, you know, just things in your life. 
but I can see that gift still there in his life and that passion is still there and God will raise it up in the right time. And she said, I can see this one with the guitar. And Mussy does not practice things. So his father gave up teaching him the guitar, but if that passion is alive and burning, then Mussy will pursue it. Um, and she goes, but I feel like there's another one. Oh, Lord, I don't want to preempt you, but I feel like there's another one. So having that miscarriage, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know there's another one. So I just went, okay, there's that thing, that word in season that God had brought back to my memory. So there was no, you know, it wasn't like this is the end and I'm going to be doing all of this again. And so I have this little Isabella and um, and I'm believing for a miracle for Isabella because she actually suffers with scoliosis oh, wow. and she it's not getting better even but I have a word from the Lord that he will use me to bring healing to her body and it scares me to actually confess that out loud because you go Lord did you say that to me and I've misunderstood you but God is not a man that he would lie and I'm holding on to the promise of the Lord and I'm going to see a miraculous thing take place and she's going to be a walking living testimony of the things of God and then we've got little Lucia, who was a surprise, and she's 11, but nothing's ever a surprise. Like I said to somebody, mm. um, if you, oh, it was you. Was it you? We what did were, I was say? It, we were talking yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't even remember. I think it was great at the time. But, you know, if you haven't made a plan, then yeah. you've, yeah. So if you're not and I planning know, I not said to do I was something. I put it on a t shirt. Anyway, it was really good. How but did yes, I remember? If I didn't. If I wasn't planning not to have something happen, then I was planning for something to happen. You moved your four kids over to Brisbane from Launceston. Yes. Look, I've skipped lots in the middle because we didn't even get to talk about Thailand. Yeah. And we didn't even get to talk about some of the amazing things that I think you, you and I talked earlier about, like money and learning about God's oh, provision. trust, so yeah. We definitely have to have another conversation about that. But tell me what God said to you to kind of instigate this move to Brisbane. Because oh. I think a lot of people, we don't know. All we know is that you guys are here. Yep. Um, you're a part of the IC family. You've taken on North. It's yep. very exciting. But tell us the backstory. How did this all even happen? Oh, it was huge. And a year ago, hold on, where are we? We're in May 2018. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. um, we, well... Our church normally, because we're from Free Life Church, and we've been going there for six years. Um, Craig went on staff probably about four years ago, and um, he he only went on part time, and then he went on full time. Um, And the reason we moved there was on a dream, but we didn't go back to WA from Thailand. God in a dream took Craig to Launceston and we'd never been to Launceston before we'd only been to Hobart for a Youth Alive conference a long time ago when Wayne Alcorn was the Youth Alive director and um, so we knew to go there but you never know how long like we'd hoped for longer always you know you get planted but for me that was a very difficult move from Thailand to Launceston because Launceston for me was like a completely alien place it wasn't like the rest of Australia not that I lived in the west the rest of Australia only in the west but it was it was completely outside of my scope of understanding of what Australia would be like it was just radically different and I felt so out of sorts for such a long time but 
you just know that if God brings you, he will bring you through it as well. And there's stuff that God needs to do in you and through you, wherever you are. And so during that process, you know, things got better, which is always a good thing. Um, Pastor Pete and Kaz, during our prayer and fasting that we do three weeks in like November, they'd done it for the past couple of years, um, to they'd felt that it was their season to step down and to do something new and they didn't know what that looked like but they just know often God will just say go you don't know the where and that is the really hard thing Mm. because as Christians we see people who are floating yeah as not having purpose necessarily and it is hard when you've been in ministry to go okay Lord but in order to grasp hold of something you do have to release something first and God has a habit of waiting until that very last moment before he comes through. And not that he wasn't always going to come through, but it's more about us. And we are not letting go of things until the very last moment. He would have done it sooner if we were willing participants in the whole journey. And um, so um, during this process, um, there was a lot of prayer and fasting going on. And I had started my fast because I actually felt before he came back and announced we were doing it, to do it anyway and um, it was just confirmation and I like to start at the beginning of things so the first of November for me not the weekend or the week before so when we do the fasting here I like to start on the in the beginning of things or even sure. the beginning of a week that's me and so I said Lord you know I'm praying for Isabella of course she's part of my thing and for provision for the family because that's always something and for the church as well as a body and 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 my position within that you know, to be in the right place and in the right position because you can be in the right place but not within the right position or have the right position and be in the wrong location. So for me, I was wanting clarity on all of those kind of things. Lord, you know, I, like I sensed there was something different before we knew what was going on and then he shared that with us. And um, then, you know, one thing was shared but things changed on the journey as well and there was thought about who could... Um, who we could give the church to, I guess, who who could we ask to come and pastor it. And there's a man within Launceston who's on the board there who had on in relationship up here. So there was, um, um, oh, yes, I know of somebody, you know, God's speaking to them about, you know, planting churches and doing all, all this kind of thing. So that's how we came into contact I guess with Pastor Paul and so and that was a process as well it's you know change is difficult Mm. for individuals let alone a whole church going through that and I know that's happened a lot and they're getting very good at it I guess because it's happened a few times (laughs) people go here's my church have it but for me you know to keep my heart right through that journey because it was a difficult journey Mm. you know of you know God no, not God, man saying one thing and then another thing happening. So there was lots of changes and lots of things were said, I guess. Mm. And then there was an alteration to those things. And just going, you know, you you can feel like when you're dealing with humans that things can be a bit schizophrenic sometimes. Mm. That's when you have to press into God because humans are humans and we all make mistakes and we all think things and say things before we've really thought them through or laid them before the Lord correctly. And so for me it was... Like I did that three-week fast and then throughout like six months, actually the whole of last year, I'd wake up and God would say, fast, give the day to me. And mm. I would. And it could be a day, it could be wow. three days, it could be a week and it could be two weeks. And 
And this happened throughout the year because God was trying to keep me pure and my motives and my thoughts and my reactions to things going on around me because it's a difficult process and the people who were involved, I guess, um, well, you know, the staff, I guess, too, you know, they're not going to, they don't know how things are going to pan out and, you know, is my, am I secure in my position? You know, what does the future hold for me and all of this kind of stuff. So for me to keep a right heart, I've got to, I've got to press into God and, and that's the bottom line. And so I had just finished a two week fast and Craig had been up here cause you know, um, I see took over the running of the church, but we hadn't changed in name or anything like that. So it was still free life. But I see were in charge of church from about middle of the year, I think July-ish, when Encounter Conference was on. So we all came up. And so that was good. I just weeped through the whole thing. It was just terrible. I, just, I remember <laughs> and passage, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and just go, oh, I'll just surrender, whatever. Oh. And you don't always hear what's going on, but you know, God just does yeah. stuff despite what's being said. It's just that yeah. it's just God. And just sometimes God. when you don't know what's happening, the presence of God is actually just the safest place to be. Absolutely. Even if you get no answers. Yes. But, but yeah. the peace is like yeah. transforming. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Just, yeah. And um Yeah, cool. Yeah. I was at work, Craig is up here and Pastor Paul said to him, you know, this is what we're thinking about doing. You're about to go to America with Rita. So I was getting to go. Yay. Um, I want you to pray about this while you're gone. But Craig, he comes out of that meeting on the Tuesday. Tuesday is my work day. Rings me up at work. He goes, you're not going to believe what happened. And he, and he gives me this information at work while I'm on reception. You know, right. we've got clients. And I'm like, I, I, I can't process this right now. I'm just like, I just finished a two-week fast. Lord, you didn't mention this to me. He goes, well, what's God talking to you about the fast? I just felt like slapping him up on the side of the head. You know, it's not about what God is saying necessarily. It's about what he's doing. But what he was doing was preparing me because I knew that there was change coming. I didn't know what that looked like. Mm. And so I was shocked at the thought of coming up here, but not surprised at the same time. It was like one, like a, it's, it was like a soft glove to the face type of thing like it hit me but it didn't offend me because I'm going okay Lord this is what you've been doing in my life you've been preparing me because I've got to journey my kids through this process now as well and you know and then we went to visit our friends in Canada and they've done lots of change and they haven't found it all so easy but so I was able to just talk about my fears with them and um but also my desire to do what the Lord had said you know the bottom line is it doesn't matter how I feel I want to do what God wants me to do because I know that's where I'm supposed to be. Nothing else will work unless I say yes. So my thing, say yes and worry about the details. Well, that may be not so true about me. I want to I want to know that we will be all right. And I think you can get that much from the Lord. You don't have to know every little nitty-gritty detail. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the less those details matter. Yeah. Because you have a history of him coming through. Yeah. So you've got that to look back on and go, okay, you didn't bring me this far just to say, see you later. You're on your own. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I said this to Pastor Joe when I saw you speak at A Taste of Favour and I said to her, I'm a little bit in love with her (laughs) and I want to get her on the podcast. And she was like, yeah, do it. She'd be so great. And I just, I 
cannot say thank you enough. I'm very aware I bullied you into this. Like, uh, I know that I really, I really am scared. You. This really, and because I am a person who is disjointed in the way she talks because no, my brain works to. here and then I'll go, oh, yeah, I need to say that. And so I'll jump from there, way over there, could be having nothing so to do I'm with really, anything in between. I'm actually really glad, though, because this is probably one of the first interviews I've done that I didn't plan for. Oh, thank you, so Jesus. Hopefully actually, it works, Lord. that was quite terrifying for me <laughs> because I'm quite organised and I go through and I usually have a good sense of, you know, the story and I know what I want to ask when I sit down. But um, even for me, this was a real Holy Spirit, like you just need to do what you need to do yeah. in this conversation. And I cannot thank you enough. For oh, thank you being for being honest. gracious with me. No, and well, thank you for letting me bully you into it. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I just, I think one of the things that I want, and I, I know in my conversation with Pastor Joe, when we decided that we would do this was... We just really want to make a space for authenticity and yeah. you, you were so authentic, um, not only in your struggle, but also in your willingness to pursue God in the struggle. Yeah. So thank you for your oh, honesty. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, yeah, like willing to do it. Thank you for your time. You're awesome. We love having you here. Oh, thank you. You are a perfect fit for our Brisbane family and when like what's happening with you guys like you just you can see god in it 100 percent. you know it's it's actually, a timing thing you know it's exciting I'm, I'm 51 i'm going lord it's just it seems like yesterday but yeah what but when i chronologize not even a word but when i chronicle things yeah yeah, yeah. and i look at it in order there's it's it's, it's been a long time. Yeah. It's a long time, but God has done, done so much. But he's not done. I know. Like, even if you're thing. 51, even if you're 60, I say this to my mum all the time because she says, you're young, like God's doing this thing. I'm like, but he's not done. And you're not done. Absolutely. Like, just you're in your 50s, it doesn't mean it's over. And that's what I was saying too, you know, like people at North, because there's a lot of them are, have been there for a long time. So there's a lot of heritage there in age as well as distance that they've travelled in the Lord. But... um. And, you know, the young ones have got all the passion and the fire, but there's the wisdom and then there's the richness and the depth, you know, because young people can be full of passion and then run out of steam quite Mm. easily when things come against them. So we need to have both of those things in order for a congregation to thrive because, you know, those who have walked those miles will pray you through those things. You who haven't experienced these things yet, it's just incredible. And I just feel like... The wisdom that I can get from those who have walked, you know, they've we've got missionaries in that church who are missionaries in jolly, um, I kind of call it Fiji, but PNG and stuff like that too. Just amazing, yeah. yeah. And the stuff they've walked through is nothing like what missionaries really have to walk through today. Yeah, you know, they did it. You know, like um, Beth was saying to me, and I'd heard this before too. You know, like she was making a cup of tea, but she was going to grab a cup of tea, uh, like a tea bag that somebody had already used, and she went. Put it back. I can. It's all right. I can have one. And she's been off the mission field for a while. But people would send them once I used tea bags. I'm like, that. I heard that, but I didn't, you know, really believe that. I guess in my heart of hearts that people would do thing that to save up all your used tea bags. Give to them send to the dregs. They're on the front line for crying out loud. Send they them a like pack of them. Yeah. Long, I mean, oh. yeah. Well, I think I could talk to you forever. Like, oh yeah. At let's time stop. of recording. This is two hours fifteen. So I think I need to invite myself over for dinner, and we can oh, just do keep that. doing this. Yep. We can keep doing this. But thank you. Welcome. Thank you so much. 
thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast in Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And also visit us on Instagram to say hi and give us a follow if you haven't already. If you're a part of IC Church and you haven't, make sure you register for Favor Conference on the 27th of July in Brisbane. I'll be there. And if you're a listener of the podcast, please come and say hi. I cannot wait to meet you. All the details for the conference and more about us at Favor Women are at ICChurch.com. I'll see you next time.